Hi everyone, before we go ahead and get started, I just want to give a quick content warning. This game contains themes of trauma, particularly the sorts of trauma commonly experienced by queer people of marginalized genders. The game materials itself contain gore, nudity, and sexuality, and uh, please be warned that this arc will likely touch on themes of grief, trauma, sexuality, mental illness, and violence. So we'll continue to give content warnings throughout. If that sounds like that's going to be a bad time for you, then go ahead and tune in next time for a more standard arc for the Eternity Archives. There is a library that exists at the Nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Welcome to the Eternity Archives. We're a bi-weekly TTRPG podcast where we play interdimensional archivists holding the multiverse together. And this week we are back with our finale of Dungeon Bitches. As a reminder, in case um, this is the first Dungeon Bitches episode you've heard, there is a content weird warning. Weird place to start. Yeah, weird place to start. Um, <laughs> there's a content warning at the beginning of the episode, but just to go ahead and reiterate, this game contains some themes of mental illness, violence, trauma, especially trauma experienced by people of marginalized genders, and sexuality. Um, so some of that content may be in this episode. And if that's not something that's going to be a good time for you, feel free to skip this one and we'll see you next time. But before we go ahead and get into play, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves and do our icebreaker question. So, um, hi everyone, I'm Ziva, my pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, the adorable human office lady. Our discussion question this week was proposed by Bappy, and it's very excellent, which is, um, what would be like the Mirrorverse version of you? So for me, Mirrorverse Ziva would be extremely practical and serious to a fault. She would never use exclamation points. She would never use words like rad or pumped. Oh, no. <laughs> she types like a boomer. Yeah, she types, she types like a boomer. All her texts are like, yes, that would be acceptable, period. There's no emojis. There's no capitalization. There's no weird random trailing off. She would not like unicorns or fun facts because they don't serve any purpose. She'd be like, oh, my God, like incredibly <laughs> like like focused and practical and no fun allowed would be I feel like mirror versus Eva. Oh, wow. That scares me. That scares me. <laughs> um, hey, y'all. My name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. I play real Deja Kel. No longer a baby. They're just an adult. After all this, they're, they're an adult now. They're just fully grown, mature adult. There's no more joy in their heart. <laughs> <laughs> a mirror-verse version of Bappy. They'd have like very sophisticated tastes. They'd like classical music. They'd be a very successful business person, and also they fuck, like, all the time. They just get bitches. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Dorka. My pronouns are she, her. I play Zen, who's having as much of a bad time as everyone right now. Maybe not as much of a bad time as real, but still, rough day. <laughs> Mary Universe Dorka. Well, um, she probably finished college and is oh, completely heterosexual. <laughs> 
She lives in the ground. <laughs> she hates heights. <laughs> she works a nine to five desk job and never goes outside or has time to do any like cool stuff like rock climbing. Well, um, I think you all can look forward to um, our new crossover podcast where it's just mirror universe versions of ourselves working normal jobs and being boring and serious. So my mirror universe self is not boring. My mirror universe self fucks (laughs) and drinks expensive alcohol. Is your mirror universe self just Patrick Bateman? You know, honestly, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Before we go ahead and dive back into the episode, I wanted to give a shout out to our newest subscriber, Aurora. Thanks so much for joining us, Aurora. It's been awesome having you. Yes, thank you. Um, And also our other newest subscriber, Genevieve, who um, is both um, a supporter and also a friend of the show. So thanks so much, Genevieve. You've probably heard her on very famous podcasts such as The Eternity Archives. That was a joke. Okay, fine. All right. So when we last left off, Linda and Zen had had some success um, getting their journals back, though not without some some rough times on the way. But Rill uh, is being led through a bizarre, brutalist architecture by a crying ghost woman. So uh, y'all ready to, to jump back in and uh, see what, what bad shit happens to at least Rill? I'm sure it'll be fine. That's just normal Christmas behavior, though, you know? Merry Christmas, everybody. Time for ghosts. Happy holidays. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Come, follow me. Let me show you. And she's just leading you, like, deeper and deeper into this twisted house. It's getting darker and darker. Where are you taking me? It doesn't matter. Just follow me. Yeah. Okay. I can hide sure they would just have words kind of caught in their throat because there's a lot of things they want to say and a lot of things maybe they should say because once again intellectually i think at some point in their mind they know this isn't real or okay this is like a trap but you know if they're gonna die in this fucked up place maybe this isn't the worst way to die (laughs) she's leading real deeper and deeper and down these halls that are getting darker and darker This route does finally take real past Zen and Linda, who have finally started to catch up. Zen and Linda push in to this new room. They turn one of these odd corners trying to get their bearings because they can hear something and they see some light, but that's kind of it. And they turn the corner and see you going like across, uh, perpendicular to them. They see this spirit looking woman in front of you. And Linda pulls up, I think, and is going to say, Whoa, real? Or what's, uh, who's this? In our eyes, the spirit has no face. Ooh, spoopy. I'm going to say real doesn't hear y'all at first because they're caught up in whatever this is, especially like psychologically speaking. That's what they are doing in general. That's what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to shut out everyone and just be left alone. And I think all of this is like facilitating that further. Zen, I, I don't think they can they can hear me. Can you hear me? Am I invisible and uh, silent? I can hear you, Linda. I don't like the look of that thing. Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of things without uh, faces. And Zen hails, Rill, wait for us, and like runs after Rill and this spirit. And Linda's gonna follow. After 
after this no good, wacky, fucked up day, Rill is just looking for affirmations from someone comfortable. You know, not that Zen and Linda aren't comfortable to them, but there was a dark Linda that tried to tell them to kill Zen, and then they almost kind of did. So after a moment just being led around by this ghost person, they'd just be like, weren't you mad at me because all I do is run away? The spirit looks past you, sees Zen, and hears Linda running after you. She looks back at you and says, we can talk about this in a minute. For now, just follow me. Just trust me. Just come with me. Just do what I say. You always say that. You always used to say that. Why? Why not now? Why do we have to wait? I'm trying to take you someplace where it can be just us. Isn't that what you want? I I don't know what I want. We'll make a decision. And they have their own flashback of a familiar moment there in the back alley. It's Cal in front of them. And a similar conversation is happening where Rill is confronted with trying to make a decision. And they just freeze. They just freeze at that moment. They don't... I can't make a decision. And so when you say that, the Cal spirit grabs Rill by the arm and starts to move quickly, trying to drag Rill after her. Yeah, Rill would just follow. And I think Zen and Linda are chasing you down. Yeah. Yeah. Zen catches up. She's got long legs and grabs Rill by the other arm. (laughs) That definitely snaps them out of it a bit. It's almost like their eyes were kind of glazed over and they look at this weird whatever force that is pulling on their other arm now that stopped them in their footsteps. And they look at Zen like furrowed brow, like confused, honestly. (laughs) Since Zen is pulling on one of Rill's arms and the spirit is pulling on the other, the spirit can't apply enough pressure to keep that hold on you. And you feel its hand phase through your arm. And then she's just standing there glaring at you. As that hand is phasing through Rill's, that is the moment where Rill does try to hold back on to the ghost, trying to keep that grip together. But, you know, because they applied that pressure, they phase through her hands. Linda wants to go ahead and catch up. And as she does, she says, Rill, wait, don't listen to that thing. Whatever you think it is, it's not. It's making things up to get to you. And Linda's going to go ahead and roll a reveal truths. Because I think there's a a motive here, which is probably to eat you. (laughs) I rolled a six- Plus two, which is an eight. That is a success. So what hidden motives are at work here? I'm hoping that by actively saying this out loud, that uh, it'll help snap Rill out of it. So I'm assuming that the hidden motive here is to trap Rill and feed off of their lifely energy. As you're saying this and trying to figure out these hidden motives for a brief second on this thing's head where there is no face, you see like this gaping maw, but only for a second. And it looks hungry and it feels hungry. Rill, whatever this is, it wants to eat your energy. This is not who you think it is. Yeah, that's fine. You know, just... It's not fine. Rill, you can't let a ghost eat you just because you've had a rough time. We've all had a rough time, but but we need you. We, we need to go home. You don't need me. 
no one really needs anyone, honestly, but least of all me. Alright, well first of all, we do need you. And second of all, even if we didn't, you're kind of fun to have around sometimes. So, we want you to come back with us. Come on, what about, what about Dumpling? Dumpling needs you? Dumpling is some kind of eldritch being that- That chose you. I'm, I walked into a closet. And you walked out with a dumpling. They maybe could have eaten you if they didn't think you were worthy, but they didn't. And they do think you're worthy. And if that doesn't say at all, if an unknowable creature thinks you're worthy, I think that pretty much covers it, Rill. Rill gestures at the ghost that was trying to eat them. I mean, thinking you're worthy for eating and thinking you're worthy for friendship are very different things. <laughs> Come on, Rill. Get rid of them. I want it to be just us again. Rill, don't listen to her. Come on. There's no dice I can roll to make me decide what how to how to turn this. Well, then we might have to uh, make that decision for you. <laughs> that sounds like a threat. We can maybe do commune with strange powers and try and convince the spirit to fuck off, but I think we're gonna need to do get a read on somebody. Oh yeah, maybe we need to get a read on Rail. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Okay, yeah. I have two bonds on Rail. Yeah, you can just make me do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, get a read on Rail. Yeah, so I'm going to try to get a read on Rill. You're not just going to use a bond? I'm going to get a read on Rill, and then I'm going to use those bonds if I need to to bump up my roll. Okay, so that's subtle. I get a plus one to that. Okay, I got an eight. Uh, an overwhelming success is ten, right? Yeah. But I'm going to use both of those bonds to get myself up to a ten. Right now, they're in a very conflicting place, mentally and emotionally. The best way to get them out of the situation Literally, just pick them up and go. <laughs> That's it. That's all you can really do right now. They're just very conflicted, and they just cannot really be reasoned with words right now. They're in a really emotional place. Zen still has that dagger and holds it out to the side and says, Linda, take care of this ghost. I'm going to get real out of here. Got it. And once Linda takes the knife, Zen is going to, like, grab Rill and throw them over her shoulder like a fireman's carry. <laughs> and get some distance between the ghost and Rill. What? What are you doing? You'll thank me for this later. I don't know if I will. Linda's gonna roll lash out against the ghost. She's ready. She's gonna get this thing. This thing's trying to eat her friend. She's had quite enough of that today. Linda rolled a twelve. <laughs> oh my Damn. god! Damn Plus, girl. Uh, hard. So that's an eleven. But still. So Linda just murders this ghost. Tell us what this looks like. Yeah, so Linda's holding this dagger, and she says, I have had enough of this today. You've messed with me. You've messed with my friends. You've hurt all of us. And I don't know if you're this whole dungeon or you're just a symptom of it, but I have had it. And uh, she stabs it right in the middle of that giant gaping maw that she saw earlier and stabs that knife in there and uh, gives it like a twist. Ectoplasm and twisted black smoke start pouring out of this thing as it deflates like a balloon until it pops into nothingness and the blade falls to the ground with a clatter. Something shifts within the space. All of a sudden, the odd architecture starts to creak and twist. It starts to form some familiar sights. Bookcases, galleries, and hallways... Unfortunately, while this is happening, the room is shaking. 
and Linda yells after Zen, keep going, don't stop, something's happening. And Linda begins to run after them. On her way, she spots on the ground a familiar looking shape, a journal, uh, hopefully Rills, and she snatches it up and begins to run after them. As the corridors twist and shift behind them back into something resembling the reality that they came from, they run as fast as they can through the space until they find a quiet spot where things are not shaking and rotating and shifting. Uh, A spot that looks something like the familiar book drop that you know and love, although it's still not quite right. Something about the lighting or the dimensions isn't the same, but it does seem to be calm enough here to take a breather and see if you can find a way back home. As they finally have found a place to rest, Linda hands the journal over to Rill and says, I found this right before, right before everything got all, all funky. Whew. Let's take a minute and rest again. This has been... My goodness, I killed a ghost at least. That was kind of cool. Rill would take the journal and just mumble a thank you. As I guess, where did Zen put them? Or is Zen still carrying them? Zen is still carrying them. They would just not be looking at Zen. They're just like... That's because you're over Zen's shoulder. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah, I guess they just take the journal and they just lay there on Zen's shoulder. Zen says, if I put you down, are you going to run off? Uh, I mean, there's nowhere to run to. So Zen puts Rail down. And they just stand there. You, um, you doing okay after that, Rail? What was it? What did you see? I saw a friend. It was... It's stupid. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm fine. It's not stupid. She almost took you away from us. Yeah, well, you know, I'm still not convinced that's not what should have happened. You know, I've just about had enough of this. Real, why do you think we don't want you here? I think they're kind of stunned because they don't have a verbal answer for that. It's just a feeling they have. Zen picks up on this silence and says, see, you don't even, you don't even have an answer. You can't think of a reason. Like, I know I snap at you sometimes, but that's just because I worry about you. Well, maybe things would be easier for everyone if they didn't have to worry about me. Well, I know we don't always understand you, but for what it's worth, I don't think anything would be easier or more fun or better if I didn't know you. Zen sits down next to Rill and, like, closes her eyes and takes a deep breath. She's just like, look, I'm gonna tell you something, okay? I've seen a lot of people die. I've seen people die for me because of me, and I thought things would be different in the library. That I could, like, start fresh, but look, obviously there's shit going on here that we don't understand, and this is more dangerous than we all thought, and I don't want to... I don't want to lose you. I don't want to add you to that list of names of people I've lost. They take a moment to process these words, and their brows kind of, like, furrowed as their faces scrunch and trying not to, like, reveal any emotion. They're just, once again, trying to process everything. And so they nod. They're overwhelmed with some kind of emotion that they can't even put a word to. They can't quite describe. They don't say anything for a few moments. During that silence, Zen will continue. I'm not great at protecting people. I'm good at fighting shit. I'm good at killing shit. But protecting people is just never something I've really been able to do. I always fuck that up. But I can try to protect you from now on if you need me. But I also need you to try and protect yourself. 
I need you to help me with this. I can't do it by myself. They have an internal conflict about this because I don't think they want Zen to think she has to protect them. But they can also see that Zen is trying to make an effort here. So they nod. Well, that's what Zen is saying is if Real can protect themselves, then Zen won't have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they would just nod. They'd just be like, uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Promise? (sighs) Um, I guess. Zen nods. She's satisfied with that. She'll take it. (laughs) Rill is glad Zen has such low standards for promises. (laughs) (laughs) Or convincing promise sayings. (laughs) Do we think that counts as a a moment of intimacy? I think for Zen's part, for sure. So Zen's intimacy move is, you're all right, babe. (laughs) Which is, something breaks through the grim facade you maintain, reaching somewhere tender inside you. You realize they matter more to you than you'd expected, and they get two bonds on you. So, Real gets two bonds on Zen. Okay. I'm glad I got those at the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) Linda comes over and puts her arms around both of you and says, That's an emotional hugging it out. I'm glad we all made it through the day. So, how do you think we're going to get home? Real, is there anything in your journal? So, Real kind of struggles at the question. They then pull up their journal and they flip it open to that original page where it was like, hey, go to the book drop immediately. I'm assuming they see the same things you guys did. When Linda flips through her journal, she just sees the same smudged message she says well oh there goes that plan how about either of you anything helpful zen opens up hers and it's still smudged it says oh, well it was worth a try real maybe also has that smudge message but at the bottom of the page in that cursive script from the start there is a message that says i'm still, still waiting, waiting on my present, present baby bird Ooh. oh that's that's awesome that is what Rill sees in cursive on the bottom of the page. And they just stare at it for a hard second. And they shake their head and close the journal like, nope, same thing. Just that smudge message. Linda lets out a big sigh and says, well, um, I'm all out of ideas. Do you think if we, if what, like hold hands and wish really hard we can go home? Ruby slippers? Um, hmm. Yeah, sure. I'll hold hands. Real kind of makes a face because they still don't really want to be touched, but yeah, they'll hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> Linda reaches out to hold Zen and Real's hands since she realizes that she can't, uh, you know, they can't see her hands. Uh, she says, well, I think this is our last ditch effort, friends. Let's think really hard about going back home, all right? Let- let's think about Mystery Boy and Margaritas and maybe petting Sweet Little Dumpling and all our friends back home, all right? This is, this is literally my last idea. Zen is thinking very hard about Mystery Boy. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Rill's not thinking about any of that stuff, but you guys don't have to know that. (laughs) Rill looks like they're thinking very hard, but... Yes, it's more like many thoughts, full trauma. (laughs) (laughs) So as Linda is, as all of them are concentrating, suddenly they begin to feel a warmth. Not the warmth of like a fire, but the warmth of like being wrapped in a warm, fuzzy blanket, like uh, snuggling with a really big dog. And then the gentle, familiar tug of entering the book drop, followed by the suffocating darkness, but then light 
and more of that familiar warmth. And when you open your eyes again, you find that you're back in the familiar book drop, the one you know. And sitting on the anchor's chair is little old Dumpling, who <gasps> chirps with a, a satisfied little dumpling noise and hops on down, coming right over to Rill and jumping into their lap. Yeah, exactly. Me. 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 I imagine they have like the little like telemarketer headset with like, you know, like they're navigating a communication console or something. And so in Linda hears the dumpling mez and opens her eyes. She says, oh, oh, well, fuck. That works. <laughs> <laughs> Did Linda just say fuck? Rill is taken aback by this. They're not looking at Dumpling, but then they do squint their eyes at you guys and they say, uh, Dumpling. 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 Okay. All right. They're sat- They're satisfied for now. <laughs> Linda lays down on the floor and just sort of luxuriates there for a minute like, thank God it worked. Yeah, Dumpling uh, jumps on you. <laughs> Linda gives Dumpling some pets. How did, how did it do that? Uh, I mean, unknowable eldritch being. But it, it was Dumpling, right? Dumpling did that? I, I think Dumpling did that. Either Dumpling or the power of our wishes. And I think Dumpling's probably a little more likely. I'm feeling kind of underpowered at the moment. Oh, I'm real glad I never ate it. Uh, <laughs> hmm. At that, Dumpling would jump on you. <laughs> Zen will give Dumpling little nose smooches. Aww. Aww. Real is kind of eye- side-eyeing you, like making sure like at an angle that you're not actually eating their face. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just a couple of nose of, of snoot kisses and then Zen Aww. will drape Dumpling over Real's shoulders like a scarf. Aww. Dumpling will, will cling onto Real and... So now that we've uh, we've made our cat noises, are we ready to uh, head back to the sleepover and, and maybe have some fun or probably just immediately all fall asleep? Zen says, actually, wait, before we do that, I think there's something I should show y'all, but I'm not going to tell you until next time. What? Oh. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's a cliffhanger ending. Baffy. Oh my gosh. Wow. Next time on Eternity Archives, Zen's Dark Secret comes out. Cut shot, hard cut to them dressed in 90s neon clothing, like at a Johnny Rockets, and there's like a jukebox playing, and they're. <laughs> Slideshow of them like doing 90s teen things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Yeah. Hey gang, thanks for listening to the Attorney Archives. Just taking a quick break here to let you all know about our Kofi page. If you sub at a $3 tier or higher, you get a limited edition sticker. And goodies such as a shout-out, access to our Discord, and behind-the-scenes notes. I also want to take time to shout-out one of our podcast siblings' new project, Roar to Heaven. Roar to Heaven is a high-octane, fast-paced actual play of Blazing Hymn, inspired by Symphogear and Evangelion, and loaded with anime intensity. Roar to Heaven is now funding on Kickstarter and on itch.io for a season set to air in 2022. Look them up on Twitter, at Roar to Heaven. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the episode! The year is 2225, and the end of the universe is nigh. Welcome to the Junket Podcast. 
The Junket Podcast is an actual play and really gay TTRPG adventure currently running the Maelstrom campaign, a science fiction take on Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition featuring spaceships, space aliens, and a whole bunch of space gays. Follow a found family of misfits and miscreants on a cosmic caper that features science and magic, love, loss, and a whole lot of laughter. Who knows, maybe they'll even save the universe or something along the way. Did that tickle your fancy? If it did, new episodes launch every other Thursday at 5pm GMT on all major and minor podcasting platforms. See you soon in the Maelstrom Galaxy. We did it. What did you guys all think and how did you all feel about it? And also, I want to know the answers to your questions because I don't know if we touched on those. Yeah, I want to go ahead and let's go ahead and start with that with answering our questions. So Linda's questions, as a reminder, were uh, what are you running from? What first taught you that you needed to be invisible? And what about you do you wish you didn't have to hide? Um, So she's running from her feelings of failure around not being able to figure out what was going on with Desi and about leaving her family behind. What first taught her that she needed to be invisible was realizing that she was more valued as like an invisible support versus, you know, being more visible um, on her own. And uh, she wishes that she didn't have to hide that she's nothing special. Linda's got some feelings about inadequacy. So Linda's super special. We love you, Linda. Love you, Kai. <laughs> that was half Ziva, half Linda. If we was... all wanted to get into all of our traumas, this would have to be like three arcs long. And it'd just be 12 really sad episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so Zen's three questions are, what are you running from? And the answer to that one is Zen is running from a mother who wants to mold her into something she doesn't want to be and a destiny she doesn't want. Who was the first person she killed? For Zen, that was a captured soldier from an enemy army. Her mother called it training, but Zen didn't find it particularly satisfying. And the third question is, why does she enjoy violence? And that is because she's good at it, and people are always willing to pay her to do it, and Zen doesn't have a lot of other skills for which she can say the same. Yeah, for real? Uh, What are you running from? Quite literally, their life. Like, their life back uh, on whatever planet they're from. That's how they got to the library. That brief altercation they mentioned with their friend Cal, that didn't end so well. That was their last conversation with someone back home. And then after that, they just like left. (laughs) They just walked around until they end up in the library. What is missing in your life? Some sense of purpose because Rail doesn't know what they want. Like, they don't know what would be fulfilling for them in life. They don't know what would kind of make them want to hang on to life. Like, you know, they were very eager to get eaten by a ghost. You know, that's not someone who (laughs) has a lot of purpose or motivation for stuff in their life. And then what terrifies you most? A lot. (laughs) It's a uh, a tie between probably being, like, useless or... Hey, Linda, Inadequacy Club. Uh, Yay. Zen's in that club, too. (laughs) Aw, great. (laughs) Um, And also the future. Because, you know, once again, they don't know what they want. They don't know what's going to happen in the future. And they 
don't know how to, so to speak, metaphorically, like drive the car. Their life is a runaway train car and there's no one at the wheel and there's no rails (laughs) coming up. (laughs) But if you pull the lever, it will hit uh, only one person. And if you don't pull the lever. (laughs) Yes, the moral quandary of do they want to hit all these other people or do they just want to hit the one person? And actually, it turns out somehow the one person on the tracks is also them. So they are just pulling that brake to hit hit themselves. (laughs) That wasn't the lesson. (laughs) (laughs) So do we want to go ahead and discuss how we felt about uh, about Dungeon Bitches? Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys think? Did you feel satisfied with what we explored in your characters? And did you kind of you know, we wrote tidbits about what we want to explore, obviously, to make it more easier, more accessible for us in this shortened one-shot-esque setting. But yeah, I guess, did people feel satisfied with kind of the doors we opened and kind of rummaged through? Yeah, I honestly was a little apprehensive about this one going in, not because of anything about the game, but because I knew that we were going to be using it to sort of explore some of our character traumas and that we were going to be playing GM lists, both of which are sort of unfamiliar territory, and playing them together, who boy, was a bit of a risk. But I thought actually I was really satisfied with the ground that we treaded. I think that we we looked at some really interesting stuff. And I think that, not to brag, but I think that um, playing GM lists and all bouncing off of each other, we came up with some cool stuff. I think so, yeah. You'll have to tell us, listeners, but only tell us if it's nice. Yeah, like I was apprehensive about the GM list stuff just because that's something we've never really done before and I've never really done before. And I think like the combination of the stuff we had prepared and like the random stuff we rolled on the tables just like opened up a lot of really neat stuff and took things in directions that I definitely wasn't expecting. Yeah. I think it was really fun to like just put those things together in ways that made sense and tell a story with y'all. Yeah, absolutely. I um actually really enjoyed the GM list tools that were provided because I've never played a game of this scope GM list. I've played like Carta games. So uh, shout out to the Carta system by our good friend Kat, who you heard on the last arc. But I have not played anything like of this scope GM list. And normally GM list games are solo and the GM is like the book. And so... I really enjoyed all the the mixing and matching of the different pieces. Probably if we'd wanted to get like really fancy about it, we could have rolled, you know, down to details of like what we find on bodies and, you know, if we open a cabinet, what's in there and um, what kind of stuff, you know, like multiple different varieties of stuff that happen in one room. So I was really impressed. I thought it helped that we had an idea where we wanted to go with the story on the whole. But we didn't like script these scenes or really we just made some notes about things we thought our characters would like want to bring up or that were important to our characters. But we didn't like sit down and be like, okay, if this encounter happens, it's going to be with a ghost. It was like, well, we have like these ideas. So I guess this ghost will be this person. It felt really comfortable. Each of us being like, oh, I have an idea for this. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. That's partly due to like our dynamic. Like that would be much harder to do with a group of people that we don't play with as often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Though I do like the fact that they do mention that like everyone should be playing together. Like the GM's job is to make the game scary and difficult and to help the the player characters like you know have this trauma component to the stories that they're telling um, but they also are like everyone all together should be working together to tell interesting stories and that's really what role playing is about so yeah I thought this was a really interesting one 
Yeah. I guess, how did you all feel about, like, playing this more serious side of your characters? Because we don't really do that. It's usually pretty light. I mean, there's sometimes serious moments, but, you know, we're a little bit sillier on on the Eternity (laughs) Archives. So uh, how did you guys feel playing a more serious role in these episodes? I think all of our characters have, like, a lot of depth that we don't typically get to explore because we're more focused on like exploring the setting and mechanics of whatever game we're in. So I thought it was a uh, a nice change to be able to really do the deep dive, even if, or maybe because of the fact that some of this was a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely not like good at like violence and like hyper dramatic stuff like that. So that was like a new challenge for me to overcome. I had a really hard time playing like Dark Linda because I don't like to be mean. I'm one of those people who has a hard time being mean in video games even. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm being so mean to everybody. But I did actually enjoy exploring the more serious sides of our characters, both because it was really interesting to like explicitly flesh some of this out instead of having it like in like a deep dive document somewhere, which is how most of it's been up until now. And also, I just think like personally for for me and for for playing Linda, that kind of stuff matters to your character, even if you're not bringing it up every session, like it helps you get a better grasp on what you're looking at. So um, so this is a little bit of like a a conversation too, right? In terms of like, it helped me figure out more about Linda and how I want to play Linda moving forward, even if it's an arc like Henshin, which is pretty chill. Yeah, like I've always known stuff about like Zen's backstory and history and stuff. But preparing for this game was the first time I've ever really like written a whole bunch of that down and like solidified it and made it make sense. I mean, you guys already know that I'm fucking crazy and I've written this stuff down from like day one, basically. But yeah, no, like I really like Dark Linda. I know you were like, oh no, I'm being so mean. But I don't know. I I like that a lot. I personally also, you know, um, I like the hyper dramatic kind of edgy character diving stuff. So, you know, for real, where you have this person who is like very caring and then kind of turns around and is just like, you fucking suck, you idiot. Um, that It's a very easy way to get under their skin. And I don't know. I just like that. I like being mean to real, as people probably know by now. So, yeah, I don't know. I liked the more dramatic stuff. I'm really glad we got the chance to do all this. I'll be honest. I wish I had gotten a chance for real to like stab Zen more. Wow. <laughs> Not not because like once again, not because real would do that, because obviously they didn't. But I want like the drama from that. Just like like, I don't know, like it'd be so. No, I'm perfectly happy for this drama to stay in this arc and (laughs) not not have too much of an effect on our dynamic going forward. I don't know, like for some people, their role play characters are like their precious babies and they don't want anything bad to happen to them ever. And then on the other end of the spectrum are people like Bappy who are just like, yes, torture my character. I don't want anything good to ever happen to them. They don't deserve it. I want good things to happen to real. They definitely deserve good things to happen to them. Uh, But like, I don't know. It's just fun. Like for me, I mean, I just like breaking a character to the point of like no return. And then like, you know, in like a lot of modern media, it's like, oh, that's like edgy and realistic and gritty. And it's like, no, I don't like that. I like someone being pushed to that like point of despair and then somehow finding their way back from it. And then all along, it was like a learning experience. And so they come back, not pure uwu baby, but 
you know, more experienced, more knowledgeable, more mature. And there's actually some kind of structural foundation and cornerstone to like their positive or optimistic beliefs. Because like in a too many pieces of media, and I think I might have said something similar in our very first episode while we we're talking about this, you know, too much media is like, oh, yeah, here's like this positive person who just like believes in the good of the people. And then there's like a little bit of pushing for that. It's like, oh, yeah, bad things happen to them. But it's like they never glimpse that dark side at like how bad it could actually be and then kind of learn from that you know like it's it's not yeah like i like my characters to be challenged and pushed and i like bad things to happen to them but i don't know i feel like typically in tabletop games i prefer a more like wholesome vibe yeah i mean that's fair i mean i am curious to see how this will go forward because i think real is like i said they kind of failed their trial So I'm wondering how this is going to affect them in future arcs. Not like, you know, they're going to be plotting Zen's murder for real now. But, you know, like they didn't tell anyone that they saw Dark Linda. Like as far as everyone else knows, they don't know that happened because Real never said that and actually Real lied about it. So that's like something they're grappling with on, on their own, which might be interesting to play out. Dark Linda will remember that. <laughs> I don't know. Like I liked playing like Dark Real. You know, there are a lot of good scenes, but personally, like what I played there, I think that was my favorite part to actually RP, which maybe that says a lot about me as a person. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you what what, is, what scene kind of stuck out to y'all's as your favorite? I really liked Linda looking in the mirror because I think it was a chance for her to uncharacteristically kind of break down in, a, in an organic way. I tend to go in really big extremes in terms of how I play my characters. And so it was it made sense like for Linda to be very shaken there and then to like slowly recover and have to have to share some pieces of her life that she wasn't necessarily super pumped on uh, sharing. So so I thought that was that was like a really meaningful and interesting scene to do. I liked playing Rill's ghost. Really? Yeah, that was fun for me. I feel like a lot of times it's hard for me to like improvise and come up with stuff on the fly. But I don't know, I was feeling good about like what I was doing there and like the environment I created around that. Yeah, I thought so too. You did really good there. I mean, like, what do you think? Like, why, uh, why that was so comfortable for you? I have no idea. I maybe just <laughs> I'm just getting more practice. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you did really well. Oh, thanks. Do we want to talk a little bit about uh, how we felt about Dungeon B- Bitches as a system now that like we've gotten into it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I have one pet peeve I have to get off my chest and ev- almost everything else is like overwhelmingly positive, but this one drove me crazy. There is a cheat sheet for moves that is attached to your character sheet. So it's like character sheet on one side, cheat sheet on the other. The cheat sheet does not include all of the things that you actually need to know. Oh, yeah, there were several times throughout the game where Ziva would, like, say something and we would, Bappy and I, like, reading out of the book would be like, oh, there's also this. Yeah, and and it's like, it's like, why do you have a cheat sheet if it does not match the text in the book? And that, for me, was, like, my one pet peeve. I suspect that by the time that this is, um, this episode is released, um, that this will not be the case. Um, I suspect that because this is the Ashcan version, that this is just, like, they just didn't finish updating the cheat sheet before they released it to us so we could actually get a chance to try it. But this is, like, a note for people moving forward. Cheat sheets are awesome. Please include them with your game. They're like one of my absolute favorite things. 
but also make sure that they include all the important stuff. Like it matters that heal doesn't just apply to yourself. It applies to other people. That's not in the cheat sheet anywhere. And so there were a couple of times where I was like, can I heal? And they were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. And I was like, well, I, it doesn't say that on here. And then I'd like scroll up and it'd be like, oh, there it is. I love that the cheat sheet exists. And hopefully by the time that you're hearing these episodes, um, the cheat sheet is a little more accurate. That was my big pet peeve. <laughs> that was really it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same with Ziva. Once the cheat sheet, because like the thing about the page in the book with the moves, it goes more in depth about what they're supposed to do. So one we struggled with was like, uh, oh, get a read on somebody. Versus, yeah. Get a read on somebody. Uh, yeah. Um, we kind of misinterpreted that from the title because to us that is like, oh, you're using an intuition or something like that. Whereas it was more like sense motive. Yeah, it was yeah. more of like um, manipulate someone. intuition. Yeah, to manipulate yeah. them into doing something. And then like, you know, because the cheat sheet is kind of like it lists the moves. It lists what you need to roll. It lists the fail success overwhelming success bullet points but it doesn't like describe what the move does so if you're going just based on title and then you in turn you know interpret it incorrectly then you're using these moves wrong but in general yeah i mean yeah it was it was really neat i i definitely have to give lots of props to the tables uh near the back of the book there's like the dungeon generator type stuff which is there are more than the ones we used. The three main ones we used was aesthetics, weirdness, and dangers. But there's also like looting a body. Why was this dungeon made? Who made this dungeon? And then there's even like a town generator, uh, you know, because this is when we played a one shot. We didn't have a town because that's more like a, a hub town rest area. And, you know, we didn't have a purpose for that. So we didn't explore that. But that is in the book. And then honestly, I should have started with this during the introduction where we're talking about the book. Honestly, for the most part, I like how they wrote the book. You know, there's the Ashcan version. There's some formatting stuff, some typos here and there. But like I, as you all know, am very bad at reading things, especially when you put lots of information in front of me. It's lots of lots of words. Um, this book isn't too long. And I feel like the information is spaced out enough where it is not intimidating. So I was actually able to skim through the entire book, which I have never done with another one because other books are like 300 to 400 pages long and they are very dense. And it was in an order that made sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah for this sure. This was a really well, I mean, clearly it's a really well thought out game with a strong purpose, but it was organized really well. It was easy to read. There's a lot of flavor packed in considering how small like it's not like a, a hundred page rule book it's significantly smaller even than like monster of the week and there's so much stuff in there so that when you start to play you're like i get exactly what this game is about there are more than 100 pages it's just that the ashcan version is double two pages on each page oh, okay still though it feels like a very it doesn't feel like an overwhelming read at all yeah uh, you know a lot of rule books are more maybe formal for whatever fucking reason and that makes it very difficult for me to read because i need some kind of intonation in how you write or else I I can't. My attention doesn't stay. Uh, so that's props on the book. That's props on the writing. This is more of like a negative on me. I wish I had played more to the class slash deal. I feel like I didn't use enough of the deals like characteristics, specific characteristics. I wish I had done a better job displaying that kind of thing. But that's not ragging on the system. The system's great. That, that's, I think, the problem we always have where it's we are only playing one shot of this. So it's like I can't keep in mind, you know, what my moves are because I'm still getting used to them. And then by the time I get used to them, uh, game's done. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel I feel that, <laughs> which is that like if I'd started if I you know, I was able to to work in work in Linda, if I would started like the other way around, if I'd started with a deal and then built a character around it, that's more organic in a lot of ways. And like most games, that's how it's designed. <laughs> Yeah, so. like, I think most of my problems with this game are really just the same problems I had with Monster of the Week, is that, like, there's a lot of time spent trying to be like, shit, I don't know what move I would use in this situation. Like, would it be this or would it be that? And there were a few times when we were like, oh, that's definitely this move or another. But especially with, like, is this reveal truth or is this get a read on someone? And then, like, once you roll those, it's like, here's a list of questions ask one or two of them and it's like well none of these really apply to my situation so what good is this really again those are the same problems i had with monster of the week that's part of what happens when you have a game that's more streamlined than this is that there isn't always going to be something to cover every situation and yeah you just it leaves more to the imagination and sometimes you just kind of have to make stuff fit But as we've already said, like, I really loved the DM tools in this. Uh, Like, the random dungeon stuff was great. Like, I would be real interested to see how, like, a longer campaign of this goes with, like, visiting the town and forming relationships with NPCs. Probably not with these characters. Like, I wouldn't want to do, like, an extended podcast version of this. I think a podcast of this would be like really hard to listen to, honestly. It'd be so sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's so much about trauma. And I feel like bringing it back to Bappy's point earlier, I do like that there is quite a bit of stuff in here about recovery from trauma and and support and downtime and things like that that we don't necessarily get into. And I also like how codified safety tools are in terms of the rules. Um, since there is so much heavy stuff in this game, it's nice that like the game itself has time for cooldown, has some safety tools. And it's nice that they talk about like how to do cool down with your players. They call it aftercare, um, which is like a really specific term, but it does it does apply for for games like this that are like really intense. And I think that that's important. But yeah, it would absolutely be difficult to listen to on a regular thing. Um, you'd have Good to luck, end Dorka, the episode editing this. <laughs> I do just want to uh, make a disclaimer: Zen is not great at handling other people's trauma, so. Don't use Zen as an example. (laughs) Don't use any of us as examples. We are not trauma counselors. Yes. Yes. Uh, A quick thing about the moves. I think there was kind of two ways that we were playing this. That it was the one where it was like, you guys want to do something, you did something, and you're like, I'm going to use this move. And then there was me who was just like, I don't want to like state the role I'm going to make. I just want to make a role if it fits something I do. The problem with that is I don't remember all the moves you can make. So I think if you listen back... I would probably be making many less rolls than than y'all did. And so I think that's kind of another thing. That's just another addition to like, this isn't a game we're used to where we know all the rules. It's like, so that's kind of something interesting. I feel like I I noticed either you're going to be calling out the moves that you're doing all the time or if you're like me and want to just kind of like fall into the moves you're waiting for them to happen but you don't remember what they are. (laughs) I think that works better if you have a GM to be like, hey, yeah, roll this for me. But I think since we were all kind of GMing each other, we were more willing to just do sort of that improv henshin style interplay. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, I think that's fine. Like, you know, in in the end, you play what fits for your table. And yeah, it's kind of another thing I also wish I did better in henshin. That game was so difficult to like use the game flavored rules and token spending for because I just wasn't used to them and I kept forgetting. And it was the same thing with this this game. I for- kept forgetting the moves or I had to 
stop and be like, okay, is there a move for this? Nope. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's just, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's something I, I need to keep more in mind when I'm learning new games so that I can actually use their rules more. <laughs> the one last complaint that I have about this game is that it does mention explicitly in the text that it is, you know, like asexual friendly, non-binary friendly, trans friendly. Anyone who falls under the category of queer women is invited and that that is is largely decided by the table and everyone's own self-identification. But there were places in the gameplay where it would explicitly mention things that I didn't think were terribly asexual or non-binary friendly. And they do mention that homebrew is a big part of what you can do. um, And it's a big part of what you should do. And they offer alternatives if like, you know, you want to be playing asexual characters, or you're just not comfortable with PC, PC sex. But um, just keep that in mind. Did you have specific examples? Because I'm Um, curious to... One was the dungeon weirdness. uh, But that's something like blood rushes out from between your legs. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other one was the like you walk into a room and it's got an aphrodisiac air that makes everybody horny. Not, of course, that being horny has to end in sex and not, of course, that, you know, non-binary people and trans people don't menstruate. Um, But if you're someone who like is uncomfortable with those concepts, having them explicitly in the gameplay could be kind of a bummer or make up for a hostile environment, depending on, you know, the kind of group you're playing with. So again, this is definitely a game. Play it with people you trust. Um, There's a lot of really cool stuff if you're playing it with people you trust and you're willing to explore some of these spaces and talk about things like safety tools and talk about things like homebrew. Yes. And like stuff like that is flubbable. Like I will say I definitely did at one point roll one of those and was just like, no, I'm going to pass on this. Yeah, it's just not a good fit for our particular table and what we want to do on the podcast. Yeah. Just to add on that, this is a very personal game. So a lot of these things are directly related to the folks writing this book. And I want to say there is a page where, as they've stated, like, you know, there's a lot of homebrew stuff. You can take stuff out if it makes you uncomfortable. You can add stuff in. You know, like, for instance, I personally didn't want the word girl attached to me or real. So I would say child, which is, you know, I was just trying to think of a non-gendered equivalent to girl, which is very hard to do, by the way, because, you know, I this is a game for adults. Adult characters don't put small children characters in this game that's, <laughs> so that's like that's kind of like the one thing where i was like okay i don't should i use the word child but i, I don't want to use girl so that was like a thing for me but as eva said it can be a bummer if you like see that and you're like oh i didn't i didn't want that but you know i think i would stress that people should definitely look through everything first if you are interested in playing this game heed the content warnings <laughs> look through everything and then play or else you know you might get surprised by stuff that you didn't want to read yeah that's that just be careful just while playing the game and even the people writing it as we said have emphasized this over and over just be careful (laughs) yeah i think um if this is if this sounds like an interesting game for you you're comfortable with the content warnings or homebrewing around stuff you're not comfortable with and you have a group that you trust that you're willing to get into some of these deep subjects with this game is really great i'm really glad that we played it I really enjoyed uh, the GM list tools and sort of the freedom that gives you to explore some of these heavier themes. And again, I'm glad we played it with people we trust. You know, we've talked a lot about the fact that on this podcast, we've known each other for a really long time. We've played lots of games together. And of course, you all have listened to us play like half of those games together. So we're all comfortable with each other and our own boundaries. And so that makes it a lot easier to play this game. But if you're listening to all of this and you're like, that sounds really cool. and I know exactly who I'd play it with. 
knock yourselves out. It's a really well-organized game with a lot of really interesting stuff to say. Mm -hmm. And as always, it's great to support indie people, especially indie publishers comprised of, you know, like marginalized people, you know, you know, support, support the indie people, support the gay people, support all of them good folks. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Amen. All right. Anything, any last thoughts about Dungeon Bitches? I think that's all I have to say about Dungeon Bitches. All right. Then um, before we close out, Dorka, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're going to be playing next time, which is like the exact opposite of Dungeon Bitches in many ways? I would argue that uh, that heroic chord was the exact opposite of Dungeon Bitches. <laughs> that's <but> fair. <laughs> they both deal with like trauma and mental illness, but like in very, very different ways. Yeah, that's yeah, last true. Last episode, I saw a butterfly. Uh, this episode, I saw the ghost of my not quite ex trying to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our next game is called Wild Sea. That is a game. It got kickstarted at the time of this recording a few months ago. By the time that these, this episode comes out, it'll probably have been like a year ago. Wild Sea is a really interesting game with a really cool setting. The setting is basically like after an apocalyptic event where basically giant trees grew all over the earth and wiped out most of humanity. And now people get around on big ships powered by like chainsaws to like cut through the the overgrowth. There's a lot of cool stuff. There are a lot of really cool mechanics that I'm really excited about. It has a lot of emphasis on like collaboration between the GM and the players and a lot of emphasis on exploration and randomly discovering the setting. Yeah, it sounds dope. I feel bad Linda has to run into more giant greenery, though. (laughs) (laughs) She'll, She'll probably be okay if she's on a ship. But yeah, I'm very excited about that. And um, we will have a guest next arc as well. Yay, and you'll hear more about guest. them when they introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Wild Sea sounds super dope. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And also, yeah, yeah, uh, we will drop links for Dungeon Bitches in the description so that you all know where to buy it. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thanks again to uh, Emily and the Dungeon Bitches team for reaching out to us. This was a really cool game. Um, and I'm glad that we got an opportunity to play it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Super, super honored. Hope we did y'all proud. If not, just send us a two hour video or specifically send me a two hour video of y'all just staring at the camera disapprovingly so that I can uh, carry <laughs> that shame with me. But yeah, thank you all. <laughs> And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, listeners, for uh, sticking through this heavier arc. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at at thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Subscribe to our Ko-fi for all sorts of exclusive bonuses, behind-the-scenes content, and other fun surprises. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay! Roll dice! an LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.